The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the sea that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you can say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Please be seated. So one of the first things they teach you in the seminary is to look for the arc of a narrative, to, to look for where the narrative starts and where it ends. And that's fine as it goes, but sometimes you miss details along the way doing that. Our gospel, in one sense, is very easy. The arc goes like this. Herod is a fox. And certainly in the Old Testament, like today, foxes were scourges who would destroy the crops, destroy the grapes, and yes, get into the hen houses. Jesus, on the other hand, is like the mother hen who would valiantly guard her chicks against intruders, including the foxes, and would give herself up to death to keep the foxes from getting her chicks. So on one hand, the arc is pretty easy. The world represented by, by Herod is, is evil, intent on taking believers. But Jesus stands as the one who will give up his life for those who believe in him. Whereas John, 20, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. They gave his only son who, you know, who, and all who believe in him shall not die but have eternal life. So on the one hand, that's the ark, and I could just sit down, right? But that's missing a few important points that I want to pick out today. First of all, to remind ourselves that, that the scripture that Jesus knows and the scripture that Jesus talks about is not the New Testament or even a proto-New Testament, but rather what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which he grew up on, which he debated, and which he taught. And when Jesus was there listening and debating and teaching these Scriptures, they were already at least 500 years old, in the case of those written at the time of David, at least 1,000 years old. They were old to him. And yet he seeks to renew them and refresh them 
in a world that seemingly has gone away from that. It's hard to remember, easy to forget, that the world of the scripture that Jesus was reading was even different than the world he lived in. In the time of Jesus, you had, I mean, sorry, the time of King David, and the time of King Uzziah, you had prophets like Samuel or, or like Isaiah, who not only functioned as prophets, but also as priests, who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the Lord, as well as communicate with the ruler what God wanted them to do or not do. By the time Jesus was on earth, that had all changed. In some respects, the time of Jesus was much like today. The people of Israel had taken over the kind of administration that the Romans had. By that I mean this. Rather than just having the old priest, prophet, talking directly to the king. They now had a whole bureaucracy. And the king didn't necessarily even talk to the bureaucracy about the religion. The king just did what the king wanted. It was up to the bureaucracy to interpret that over against the scripture. So the bureaucracy in Jesus' day consisted of scribes. We call them lawyers, and sometimes we see that the text, and they were responsible for copying from one scroll to another scroll as the old scrolls wore out. But those scribes also, because they were so near to the scrolls, began interpreting them. And they were not afraid to say, this is what the law says. And not afraid to say to Jesus, you don't understand the law. In addition, there was a Sanhedrin. That, that's the council of 70 peoples that, that related to the high priest, that sort of like the Supreme Court of their day. And we only see them in the Gospels at the end of Jesus' life, where he's called before the court, the Sanhedrin, to pronounce whether he's guilty or not of sedition. Those are the quick ones to talk about. The Sadducees were a little bit different in that they were the glad-handers, the brown-nosers, if you would, of their day. They were the ones who would coddle up to Herod. They were the ones who, who tried to make nice with the rulers of their day. They were the ones who, by only focusing on the law, that is, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, didn't have to worry about what the prophets said. They didn't have to worry about the fact that the prophets said, don't give your sacrifices if you're leaving the poor out of the equation. Don't, don't show me how much you love me if you don't show love to those who can't show love back to you. Of all the people that in the bureaucracy in Jesus' time, the ones that Jesus talked to the most, and the ones that Jesus argued with the most, were the Pharisees. And in Matthew, Mark, 
and John, he's always in dispute with them. The, sometimes the best thing he says about them is, you brood of vipers. Not exactly very nice. But I want to tell you in Luke, and we're reading from Luke today, that Luke has a much more nuanced understanding of who these Pharisees are. When you look at Luke's gospel, sure, about 60% of the time he's arguing and sometimes, you know, even yelling at the Pharisees for not understanding what God wants them to do. But about 40% of the time, and this is very important as far as I'm concerned, about 40% of the time, he's eating dinner with them, he's answering their questions, he's really taking seriously that they want to do what God wants them to do. So as our gospel for today began, you heard the gospel writer Luke say that some Pharisees came to warn Jesus about Herod, that Herod was hunting him out to kill him. Don't go to Jerusalem. They honestly say, because you're going to be killed if you go there. Those are not words of people who hate Jesus. Those are words of people who actually are concerned about his welfare. Perhaps we think of the Pharisees, good Pharisees, as an oxymoron, because after all, in the other three Gospels, they're easy to hate. But Luke has this more nuanced understanding of the, of the Pharisees, which we also have to keep in our mind. In the same way, Luke has a nuanced understanding of the Samaritans, whom the Jewish people hated and they were constantly in battle with. And yet, in Luke's Gospel, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan, who takes care of the man beaten by robbers when a priest and a lawyer, that is, a scribe, pass that person by. The one who shouldn't have helped was the one who helped. The ones who should have helped didn't want to get involved. In Luke, the people are nuanced. They're like you and I. Combinations of good and evil. Combinations of doing God's will and rejecting God's will. Combinations of not even knowing what God wants in our lives and at the same time knowing that God saves us despite that. So what do we do with this knowledge? First of all, we can have certainty that, that Jesus, like the mother hen, will do anything that Jesus will do, including die for us, to connect us with God. It's interesting that this idea, this, this image of Jesus being like a mother hen, it's only found in two other places. It's found in, in Matthew's Gospel. But it's also found in a piece of Scripture that is set around the same time as Jesus' Gospels, but written from a Jewish source 
called, we call it now third, third Esdras or second Esdras. And in that, the same thing is said, that, that God calls the people of Israel and says, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her brood. Now think about this. Up until that time, the only place where the word brood was used was this brood of vipers, a bad brood. But here Jesus, and God as he speaks to Ezra, says, I, your God, am like the, the, the chicken, the hen who will gather her brood and protect them. That God was willing to gather a brood of those who were Christians as well as those who were Pharisees were willing to gather the brood of those who were true believers and those who were true doubters. That's what God's love is for us. Well, with that as our example, what are we to do in life? First of all, I think it is that we have to see the complexity of other people around us, to know that they, like us, are just as conflicted there, like us, have just as, as many good and evil points as we do, and to learn to love them as much as we love ourselves. Elise and I just recently watched uh, a, a relatively recent movie called The Art of Racing in the Rain. As a matter of fact, we liked it so much, we wound up um, watching it twice. And the story is basically this. Uh, it's told from the standpoint of a, of a dog whose name is Enzo. Dog, this dog, Enzo, has been adopted by this young race car driver, Danny. And Danny is, is a great driver, he's a great thinker, and he knows, for example, that life is full of rain. So you have to be comfortable driving in the rain and know that, that rather than worrying about when the rain comes, you just focus on the moment and you know how to drive so that even when the rain comes, it doesn't throw you. As he says in the, in the movie, you've got to know that you're going to skid first even before it rains, so that when it does rain, you're not worried that you're going to go into a skid. That idea of thinking things through runs through this particular movie. Well, as it progresses, he finds a love of his life. He marries her. They have a kid, but she comes down with terminal cancer. Her parents, who loved her and loved their grandchild, have a problem with the fact that Denny still wants to continue race car driving. And the father-in-law especially is the one who says to Denny, you don't do anything with your life. You don't plan your life. You're not thinking about anybody but yourself. And the father-in-law tries legally to take the granddaughter away from him. I won't go into detail, I'll let you see that so I don't spoil it for you. But in the end, 
Danny wins the, his daughter in the court. And, and it comes to his daughter's ninth birthday right after that. And his in-laws come to the house. And the mother-in-law hands Danny some presents and says, give these to our granddaughter. And he says, no, you give them. And he pulls her in, gives her a hug, and she goes in. The father-in-law stands out there like, well, what about me? And he's, he just gives him the gesture, come on in, and then gives him a hug. The person who hated him and wanted to take away the grandchild is the one that he welcomes into his house because that's what love is all about. We live in a very complex world. It's easy to look for for villains, it's easy to look for people that are, that are doing things in the world that increase hate rather than increase love. And all of us are stuck trying to find ways of increasing love in a world that's increasingly hostile. I can't tell you exactly how to do it, but I can tell you this. If we keep in our minds that the people that we don't agree with, the people of minds, and keep in mind the people that we hate, are still people that Christ died for. And Christ continues to love just as much as he loves us. We can find ways of sharing that love. And like Jesus and the Pharisees, if we don't at least always agree, we can still agree that we must get along together. For we, all, we are all children of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>